0: Good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you. I'm excited to open up God's Word. Let's all stand, and we're going to read from our text this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and all held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. Community is naturally built around those that we follow. Um, when you, we see this all throughout our culture. Um, the way that me and Pastor Josh really connected is we both found out we were Duke basketball fans. We both came in crazies. And so automatically that community was built with each other. We see this all the time throughout the music industry where the followers of certain singers are actually given community names, like Justin Bieber's got the Believers, right? And Beyonce has her Beehive. And then there is the most fierce music community of all, the Swifties. I was gonna ask if anybody was a Swifties, but we already know where the trouble walked in, all right? That's probably the most passionate fan base of all time. Like if you look up Swifty stories, you're gonna find all kind of crazy things. And we can ask um, the Chiefs uh, tight end Travis Kelsey about how big the Swifty impact is when his jersey sales shot up 400% in the last week. His podcast is the number one podcast in America. And you would think that nobody could make the Super Bowl champions of the most popular sport more popular but the Swifties did it. It's even predicted that the next presidential election is going to be determined not by debates, not by policies, but by Taylor Swift. Because she has such a huge impact. Those, those cardigan-wearing, cowboy-boot-wearing, Starbucks-carrying cup cups Swifties, they come together and they make an impact. You see, people build communities around those who they follow, whether it's a a person, a team, passionate, they're devoted. It impacts how they think, how they dress, how they talk. It impacts how they spend their money, how they plan their schedules. They learn facts, they learn the stories, and if you are one of the people that opposes their favorite person, they might even fight you over it. Now, I don't need anybody to go out and start arguments or fights with anybody, but God in his grace has brought together the people of Midtown Baptist Church to be a passionate and devoted community of people who follow Jesus, who can move the needle in this community towards Christ. Jesus called those that, call, uh, that follow him, he called them disciples. And in the simplest of terms, a disciple is a learner, it's a student, it's an apprentice. And during this time period when the Bible was written, people would often become uh, disciples of some great teacher. And what they would do, they would try to get into direct contact with the teacher. If they couldn't, they would get the teacher's writings, they would hear the teacher's speeches, they would go to a, a school that was founded by the teacher. But what these learners did was much more than just gather information. They would devote themselves to the way of life that was taught by this teacher. They would conform themselves to the teacher's character. And often they would even build communities in certain parts of the city that were all established around a culture of the teacher's teachings. And that's exactly what disciples of Jesus Christ are called to do. Disciples are to study the teachings in the life of Christ and to seek to follow the way that Christ has set before us through his life. We are to, to mimic his character and values those things that Christ values. We are to build community with others who have committed themselves to Christ and establish a culture where the teachings of Jesus are preeminent. As a community of disciples, a church, It's important that we study what a community of disciples. Why is it important for us to be in community with one another? How do we relate to one another as followers of Christ? And I hope that we'll be able to answer those questions through our text this morning. To give a little context, in Acts chapter 2, after spending several days in prayer, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, and they began to testify about everything they heard about Jesus. And we call this event Pentecost. And on that day, Peter stands up and he preaches a bold gospel message that convicted the people's hearts. It showed them their need for repentance, and it showed them that that Jesus was there to forgive their sins. We read in Acts 2.41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So now there's 3,000 people who had just received the gospel. They've been back to verse 42 where our text starts. We see that these new followers of Christ immediately established a community. And we get a description of, of the characteristics of what this community looked like. And I think that each of these characteristics are very applicable to our community today. So they were devoted. Look at verse 42 again. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayer. They were devoted. That means these things were constant. They, they persevered in these things. They were fully committed. These were natural rhythms of their lives now. These were can't miss things that they would not do without. And it lists four things that they were devoted to. First, it says they were devoted to the Word of God, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They listened to and they followed the teaching of the apostles who were preaching and teaching from the scriptures. Most of the teaching of the apostles was teaching from the Old Testament and connecting that to how that related to Jesus. And Jesus had spent ample time with the disciples, expounding to them the truths during his time with them. So now they were to take those messages and they were to spread them to other people. Now today... We are blessed to have the entirety of God's word. God has sovereignly preserved the Old and New Testament to reveal the character of God, showing us how he worked among his people in the past, how he was working among us today, and how he will work all things together for his glory and our good in the future. What we have is that divinely authoritative guide for how to live. If we truly believe that the Bible is God's word, we got to be devoted to reading it, to studying it, to hearing it, to applying it to our lives. I love this quote by Paul Tripp. He says, if you really believe that the Bible is the word of God, preserved by God for you, wouldn't it be the most valuable, esteemed, treasured, and well-used possession in your life? Would you not love the moments when you could sit with it, Read it carefully, study its contents, and meditate on its implications. Would you commit yourself to be an avid reader and lifelong student of the Word of God? Wouldn't you work to be sure that you have understood and interpreted it correctly? Wouldn't you want to make sure that everything you desire, think, say, and do was done in joyful submission and careful obedience to the Word of God? A community of believers. And yes, we should study the Bible on our own, but it's equally important that we study God's Word together because as we read and hear preaching from God's Word together, that's how we start to shape a culture in our community that furthers the mission of God. They were devoted to the Word of God, but they were also devoted to fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. It means to gather together, to join together, to form a community, a partnership. A partnership. And so it's, it's more than just hanging out and not just, the, not just meet together. It says that they were together. They had deep relationships with one, with one another that was formed by their common love for God. We'll see in a bit how that, that fellowship manifested itself. But biblical fellowship is essential for a community of, of Christ followers. Understand that fellowship is an evidence of gospel change in our lives. In 1 John chapter 1, John talks about fellowship with Christ and fellowship with one another. In verse uh, 3 of 1 John chapter 1, he says, What have we seen and heard we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what they had seen and heard was the gospel. It was the good news about Jesus, his death and his resurrection. So John says, the way to have fellowship with us was through belief in the gospel. They shared that common belief, and that united them together in Christ. And then in verse 7, he says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus' his Son. In the light, that's a term for following Jesus. Jesus says, if, if we're walking in the, in the light, then naturally we have fellowship with one another because... There's that natural bond that happens when you are walking with other people who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. A result of of the gospel working inside of us that we will fellowship with other believers. Now Sunday gatherings like we were doing this morning, it provides an opportunity for fellowship. It's not the fellowship, but it provides the opportunity for fellowship that's around Jesus Christ. And And I get it because I am a natural introvert. Um, Well, debatable. Some people say I'm not. Um, But I think I'm a natural introvert, um, and I tend to like to be a loner. And so I get it if you want to jet out at the back door at the end of the service. Like, that's my natural want-to-do thing too. But if we skip out on the fellowship. We're skipping out on an opportunity to strengthen our confidence in the power of the gospel as it brings together people who probably never would come together otherwise. They were devoted to the word. They were devoted to fellowship. And the third thing they were devoted to is the gospel. It mentions here the breaking of bread. It's talking about the observing of communion, the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a memorial of the Lord's death. The early church devoted in a way of proclaiming their dependence on and the sufficiency of the gospel. This is a a practice that's continued through the church tradition for that same reason. We practice that all the time because we want that reminder of how important the gospel is to us. Because as we we picture the broken body and his blood spilled out for us, it's a consistent reminder that that Christ's death is integral for our faith. Without the life, death, resurrection, and future glory of Christ, there is no hope. There's no reason to gather. There's no reason to change our lives. The gospel is what changes everything, so it has to be at the center. As followers of Christ, the gospel has to constantly be on our hearts and minds. No hope without the gospel. So they devoted themselves to to keeping the gospel at the forefront through regularly taking part in communion. Final thing we see that they're they're devoted to was prayer. Their devotion to prayer indicated that they were completely dependent upon God. They understood that God's presence with God in prayer. And as a community of disciples, you have to pray. Pray. If we seek God's protection, we have to pray. If we seek God's provision, we have to pray. If we seek to do effective ministry, we have to pray. If we seek unity, we have to pray. Everything must be rooted in prayer because it is God's declaration, it's our declaration that we need God. Individual prayer, which is important, but there is something powerful about corporate prayer as well. When we all get together and pray. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see example after example of the the believers gathering together to pray. Perhaps my favorite is in Acts chapter 12. Uh, During a time of intense persecution, Peter's captured. He's thrown into prison. And and they think it's pretty much over for Peter at this point. And uh, the church, they gather together. They start to pray. And an angel appears in the Peter, Peter's prison cell. He delivers Peter, and Peter goes to the house where he knows the people are going to be praying. And at this point, it must have been that they were just praying that Peter would get a speedy death because they had, like, given up hope. Because when the girl sees Peter at the door, they're like, ho, 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 you just saw a ghost. Like, that can't be Peter. Peter's gone. They thought he was dead. But God worked a miracle. God brought deliverance. And you know what? I believe that we serve the same God that delivered Peter. And when we as a people gather together to pray, amazing, awesome, powerful things can happen. John Unmuncheca in his book on prayer says, where prayer is absent, it reinforces Now a community that's supposed to be following God can't be okay without God. So we have to pray. We have to seek God's presence, we have to seek God's power and we have to seek God being evident in our midst. and that happens through prayer. So that's exactly what happened with this community. They were They were devoted to the word, they were devoted to fellowship, they were devoted to the gospel, they were devoted to prayer. And God started to do some amazing things. In verse 40, uh, 43 says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. So that's the second thing I want us to see this morning. They were, they were devoted and then they were in awe of God. Awe is a reverential respect because of his power and authority. And this community is evident in their midst. The power of God left this, let this community in complete awe. And a community of disciples, a church, has to be in awe of God. We must be in awe of God in all that he has done in our lives. Happening during this time, but God still does miracles every single day. And that's why we, when things happen in our life, when God does great things for us, we need to share those things and give people the testimony so people can see Jesus creation itself should leave us in awe of God. He created and he sustains all things in our universe. Perhaps you've been to a a place that you think is particularly beautiful. I love going to the Grand Canyon. It's like my favorite place to go visit because I sit there and I just see, man, like, like, dang, God did all this. Like, that's crazy. Every time we take a breath, it's by the grace of God. Most of us can probably think of a time where it was a clear, it was clear that a miracle happened to keep us alive on this earth. We have no how, idea how many times we've been on the verge of death, and God has spared us with His mighty hand. And if nothing else, God's great love should leave us in awe. His willingness to suffer death for our redemption, of to die a brutal death. All that God has done, all that he is doing, and all that he will do should leave us in awe of who he is. So a community of disciples must be in awe of the God they are following. This thing that Paul tripped being captured by awe of God. Because awe of God is quickly replaced by awe of you. And if we are in awe of ourselves Rather than in awe of God, we're filled with pride and we think that we can handle this life on our own. It creates all types of problems within a community of believers. So we need to keep an awe of God at our forefront. The community was devoted, they're in awe of God. And the third thing I want you to see is that this community was authentic, they were authentic. They were serious about their commitment to Christ. This wasn't a passing trend. It wasn't cultural Christianity. This was real to them, and it showed in the way that they refocused their lives after they came to Christ. Their belief in the gospel completely changed the way that they lived and connected with each other. We read in verse 44. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. Remember that unity this community was united around the common belief in the gospel of Christ, and that unity spread to every aspect of their life. It said they had all things in common. Their connection went beyond the surface level. They shared life with one another. They became fam- this familial relationship spread to the way that they started handling their earthly possessions. Look at verse 45. It says they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. So they had authentic unity, and they were authentically generous. They lived with open hands. If someone in their community had a need, they would sell their own possessions, their own property, to meet someone else's needs. Now, that's not like a promoting communism thing. Nobody was forcing them to do this. They willingly gave up their things to meet the needs of others. In other portions of Scripture, we see that the, the believers would sell their property to fund the mission of God. Authentic disciples will be generous because they understand that God has given them everything that they own, and they will use that to God's glory, living with open hands. Verses 46 and 47, give several indications of this authentic community. All right? It says, every day... They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So here we go. This is like a, the five for One special, all right? They were authentically faithful, authentically relational, authentically joyful, authentically They were faithful to gather together to study the scriptures. They got together regularly, it says, to eat a meal together, a picture of the relationship that they had built with one another. It said they did so with glad and generous hearts praising God. So when they got together, it was a good old time. They got together joyfully. They worshiped the Lord for all the great things that he was doing in their midst. Their, their mirth and alacrity gave them favor with others in the city. It didn't become a a cult camp where they kind of cut themselves off from the outside world. It said they still had relationships with those outside the faith. They had favor with all people. They were people that even the lost people wanted to be around. And what happened is that leads to the reproduction. God was adding to the church daily. People were seeing this community and wanted to know what it was it all about. They lived and proclaimed the gospel. God's spirit worked, and people responded by following Jesus themselves. It was clear they were authentic followers of Christ as they interacted in the community of disciples, and they lived missionally in the community of Jerusalem. Now, could the same be said about this community of disciples? Faithful relational, joyful, missional? Would people look at this community of believers and want to know more about Jesus? Let me get them a little bit more personal. As a representative of this community of disciples, would people look at you and say, you are a real deal, authentic, genuine follower of Jesus Christ? Are you someone that others would want to follow as you follow Jesus. These verses give a clear picture of what it looks like to be a disciple. A disciple will be reorienting their life every way um, under the lordship of Jesus and leading others to do the same through the power of the Holy Spirit. Being a disciple of Jesus shapes your entire life. And Midtown Baptists can't be a community of disciples unless the individuals within the community. Are devoted in awe of God and authentic. So the main point I want to drive home this morning is that a community of disciples will be centered on following Christ. I know it's nothing profound, it's something that should be go without saying, but a community of disciples has to be centered on following Christ. And so is your life centered around following Jesus? What are you devoted to? What is it that you give yourself over completely to? Is it the Word of God? Is it fellowship? Is it the gospel? Is it prayer? What inspires awe in you? Is it Steph Curry dropping a half court three? Is it the plot twist in your favorite TV show? Is it the new song by your favorite band? Or is it the Word of God? that reveals truth to you? Is it What God speaks to you during your times of prayer? What inspires awe in view? What determines how you prioritize your life? Who you hang out with? How you spend your time? What you do on vacation? What guides you as you build your relationships? At work, with family, with friends, and your neighbors? And the answer to all these questions should be the gospel. It should be Jesus. We should conform our lives and and center our lives around our commitment to Jesus Christ. God has ordained that his help each other as we center our lives around the gospel. So a a community of disciples, a church, is a group of people that covenant together to have their lives shaped by the gospel. Because iron sharpens, sharpens iron, right? We are told to keep each other accountable and stir each other up to gospel-centered living. Before I close, let me give you just three application thoughts about community of disciples. First is this. Community is fundamental to discipleship. Community is fundamental to discipleship. So from the very beginning, we see these 3,000 people right after Pentecost come to Christ. What happens immediately? They immediately form community. We see in 1 John how it's an evidence of gospel change in our lives. Because Christians were never meant to do this thing alone. Hebrews ten twenty three. we read this in our scripture reading this morning. He says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promises faithful and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that verse is just a good encouragement that, that tells us, hey, you need each other. And as the days grow darker and more wickedness is available to us, we need each other to stay devoted to God and to be in all of his power and to be authentic in the way that we live our lives before God. You can be saved and not be in community with other believers. That's, it's possible. You can do that. But I don't think that you can be a healthy follower of Jesus Christ without community. Christ established the church. He's united us together through the gospel. He has purpose that we should work together to follow him. And so community is important for discipleship. It's, it's one of the main things. Second thought is this. Community is where the gospel is brought to life. Community is where the gospel is brought to life. It's, it's in community that the truths of the gospel start to be applied. It's, in, the, it's in, the, uh, in community where the gospel goes from good thoughts to practical action. The gospel tells us that we need to, to love one another. Because if we can't love our brother who we can see, then how can we love God who we can't see? That's 1 John, right? So we need to love one another. But you know when we really see the gospel at work? When we're living in community and we have to love a brother or sister, that's very difficult to love. See, see, that's how the gospel starts to work uh, as we live in community. Another example is we we know that, but it's in community where that that thought gets put into action and we have to reach into our pockets and give when others are in need. So that's just a few examples, two examples of how the gospel is brought to life in community. And if we're, we're living a separate life and trying to be the Lone Ranger Christian, we can't put into practice all the things that the gospel tells us to do. The church should be an earthly expression of God's heavenly kingdom. This community of disciples should give the world a heavenly foretaste. It should be in community where the disciples' uh, word from uh, where we see the, the words from the Lord's prayer are made real. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where it should happen. Bring the gospel to life in all its aspects, and we try to make God's kingdom visible to the world around us. Then the final thing: community is where mission is empowered powerful and impactful about people that gather together for a singular purpose. That's why people often gather to protest after some perceived injustice, right? We'll see this at political uh, rallies in this political season, where people gather together to try to to persuade others to vote for their candidate. They had this hope that a gathered people will make an impact and sway opinions and affect change. When people are gathered together, The voices are louder, the messages are bolder, and the overall significance of the cause is raised. And we serve a greater cause than a political rally or a protest. It's the mission of God. We gather together as a community to push an agenda, but the agenda is not our agenda. We push God's agenda. We gather together to scatter. We have to rally around the mission of God as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and take the gospel to the world. My favorite basketball coach is Coach K, now retired and he always gave the illustration of the fist. He would say something like, hey, you got five fingers on your hand and individually, they're not going to do much damage if you're in a fight. But if you put those uh, uh, five fingers together in a fist, you can make a bigger for from this church. My prayer for your, for your church is that you will, you will make an impact in our city, that you will be the fist, a force for the gospel through your witness. Through, through, through your testimony, people should come face to face with the gospel and have to consider do I need to follow Jesus? And yes, we can do this on our own, but when we work together, it multiplies the impact. We see that in our text. The disciples came together under the banner of the gospel, and it said that God added to the church. And I think most of us would say that we want to be disciples that make disciples. Well, it's in community where you are equipped, you're encouraged, and you are empowered for the mission of God. So a community of disciples is centered on following Christ. And if this is going to be a community of disciples, You all have to commit to having your lives centered on following Jesus. Be devoted. Be in awe of God. Be authentic. Be faithful to gather together. Stir each other up towards gospel-centered living as followers of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for Midtown Baptist Church. And I pray that you guys would be praying that same prayer for your brothers across town at Restoration Fellowship, that we would be able to be a force that impacts our city for the cause of Christ. And then finally, if you're listening this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, understand that Jesus desires that you become one of his disciples. He has so strongly desired you to be part of his community that he died and rose again for your salvation. And so if you don't know Jesus, he is worth following. And so, if you're interested in learning more about what it to follow Jesus, I would encourage you to meet with one of your pastors, and they will be glad to show you of what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. But for those of us that are believers, let's go out and be true, authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, and let's build a community that makes an impact in our city, in our nation, and in our world. Let's pray.